Today on Basic, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Caitlin Olson. Making them laugh is the highlight of my day. It's so fun to improvise with them and like crack them up. So I felt singled out like I'm the only woman in this cast and I they they love and appreciate me. Back 18 years ago, it was really hard to find a female asshole who was just mm-hmm. a total piece of garbage and was unapologetic. And it was a big thing back then where it was like, yeah, but they have to be likable. These guys were like, she doesn't have to be likable. And I was like, oh my God, so great. That was brand new to me. I never had license to just yell and like get creative with my insults and then not have to like pull a punch and be like, just kidding. I'm just broken. That's why I talk like that. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) I was just a jerk and it was funny and it was so liberating and great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and next time we're all in Patty's Pub, the drinks are on me. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I am the day man, fighter of the night man. <laughs> Jen, our guest today is one of the stars of what must be Basic Cable's longest-running live-action comedy. Yes, our guest is Caitlin Olson, but actually... The comedy that she is on, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, is not just Cable's longest-running live-action comedy. It's television's longest-running live-action comedy. Nothing has been on as long as that show. That's crazy. They've got 15 seasons under their belt with more to come, and it's amazing how they managed to keep the show fresh and funny for so long. We'll hear all about it from Caitlin, and then Jen and I will do our recap analysis, maybe over a beer or maybe some fight milk. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin Olson. Sweet D is here. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks for thanks for coming, Caitlin. We really appreciate it. We start off by asking everybody the same question, although it's a little different depending on how old you are. So you're <laughs> you're, you're 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 younger. So we're going to ask, <laughs> what do you remember about cable TV as a kid, and what do you remember watching? My biggest memory is that everybody started watching. MTV and they were all talking about music videos and I had no idea what they were talking about. So I begged my parents to get cable because I had to be able to watch these music videos and pretend that I thought they were as cool as my friends did, (laughs) which I'll be honest, I was always like, I don't, this is like work having to sit and watch, like, let's just listen to the song. I just never really got it, but I was like, oh, totally. Uh, Yeah, it's so cool when they're like all dancing and like one person singing and we're watching it. And there's and there's explosions and stuff. There's explosions and there's like romance and it never makes any sense, but it's so go. cool. Was there any music video that you actually liked? I'm sure. I mean, anything Paula Abdul was dancing in, I would watch for sure. That was exciting. It's honestly, if there was like good dancers, singers who could actually dance, that was exciting because it was more about the performer and everything that they were showing they could do. So that was that was pretty cool it was just like the abstract stuff was like uh I I don't know I just was not that cool I was just pretending honestly my anxiety was probably so high just trying to to make sense of it just fit in that's right I'm still that's all I'm doing right this second too by the way aren't aren't we all yeah (laughs) well speaking of uh childhood I'd read an interview that you did where you were talking about getting into acting when you were in summer camp Is that when you really kind of got bitten by the acting bug or do you remember when that first happened? Yeah, absolutely. It was just a day camp. It was just summer camp and there was, um, you could do music, you could do ballet. Then it was Shakespeare plays they were putting on. And I did 
Taming of the Shrew and Alice in Wonderland. And I was Kate in Taming of the Shrew <laughs> and Alice. And my brother was the uh, caterpillar. And it was so much fun. And I just remember my parents being in the front row, just like so excited to watch us do this. And it was so much fun. And I I just felt like I had so much control. <laughs> I, are we all just trying to be in control? I just felt like I was completely in charge of that production. It was... Uh, I I absolutely loved it. And I just couldn't wait to go back every year. But I was so shy that, I mean, there was no theater department in elementary school, but in junior high school, which is what we called it, there was, and I was way too shy to audition for anything or become a part of the, of, uh, the theater program. So I, I just kept going back to that same summer camp and doing plays in the summer. That's so interesting. Why, why did you feel like you couldn't, couldn't try out in junior high, even though like you obviously weren't so shy that you couldn't do it at camp? Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. There's something about camp that's just so much more inclusive and friendly. I think you're kind of all in it together at camp and at school, Mm -hmm. there's just clicks. And I wasn't one of the popular kids. And I, I I mean, I've said this on a million uh, interviews, but I got in this horrific accident when I was in the sixth grade and I, my bike landed on my head and my mouth was all messed up and they had to shave my head. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like the picture of popularity walking into seventh grade, which was a new school. And I certainly wasn't cute. Boys were not interested. Uh, they were interested in making fun of me. That, that was fun. Yeah. But I think I just wanted to sort of disappear in, in junior high school and just sort of like make it through. Yeah. And then summer camp was just a different vibe. Everybody's just welcoming of everyone else. And, you know, everybody's got their own thing. And yeah, there's something magical about camp. I'm a big camp guy. Yeah. Seventh grade is the worst. Seventh Seventh grade is the worst. And I'm a big camp guy. I always tell people college was great. Learned everything I need to know at camp. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's exactly right. That's how how I feel. So the bug, that bug that you got early on took you to LA at some point and you joined the world famous Groundlings, which is one of the most pre- prestigious yes. um, comedy and uh, improv theater groups. Yep. Um, how did that all set you up for your acting career? And and also, were you there with anybody else who kind of made it as far as you did? Yeah. So Dax Shepard and I did the whole program together. We went all the way through together and we were in the Sunday company together. And that was really fun. And we also were neighbors at the time randomly. So we would write together all the time and um, drive back and forth together. We were still pretty close. And it was just such a great training ground because you're just thrown right into the deep end. And it's, uh, you know, the people in charge are other actors who are in the main company. So it's just, it's actors voting on actors and, you know, it's very cutthroat, but you're also really working together. I mean, certainly in the Sunday company and classes, like you're writing together. And so it's both competitive and collaborative, which I think is a good a good combo. It was a really good experience. It's sort of like seventh grade meets camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only my hair grew out and my face fixed itself. So I, I was able to speak up a little bit more. I know, obviously, you, d- you did some other roles before you did It's Always Sunny, but that was obviously a big moment for you. I- I'm wondering, did you audition for it? Like, what do you remember about the casting process? Yes. So I hated auditioning. I've never been a good auditioner. I'm a theater person. I like working with other actors and working off of other actors. So auditioning with a casting director was always just torture because they're half the time just looking down at a piece of paper and reading it with 
very little inflection. And this audition, I, first of all, I read the sides and legitimately thought it was funny, which I'm so picky and such a perfectionist that half the time I would go and audition for stuff that I was like, this is so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just try and like fix it or, or change it in a way that could, I don't know, make it funnier. This audition was, I was so excited to do it because the pages were so funny and I got there and in the room, it was all three guys, Charlie, Robin, Glenn, and Nick, their producing partner, manager. And yeah, and I auditioned with Charlie, like he was reading his role. So it was this very talented, smart, funny actor who I was, I'd never seen him before, but I was. So you didn't know any of the guys when you walked in the room that day? No, I didn't know any of them. And it was just such a fun audition. And after we After we went through it once, Rob said, okay, why don't you just throw the sides down and just do it again, but just kind of like screw around and say whatever, which was just so exciting. That that was unheard of back then. I've always wondered watching It's Always Sunny, like, I know it's a scripted show, but I would imagine you do some improvising. Like, what's what's the balance there? How often do you get to just kind of riff? We move really quickly, and the the scripts are so well put together and fine tuned by the time we are what we start shooting, which is honestly such a huge benefit of being on basic cable and not on a network. You can write and perfect all of the scripts before you ever go into production. Mm-hmm. So when I read a script, it has been meticulously worked on. It's so good and so funny. We show up, we shoot a couple times, and then we just start playing around. So Yes, it's incredibly well-written, and I owe our writing staff so much. I can't say enough about them. We would be nothing without writers, and that's just across the board, I think, for all shows. But it is really nice to be able to be given license to just do my thing, you know? And there's Mm -hmm. so much trust there because we've been working together for so long that we're really just playing around and just trying to make each other laugh, which makes it fun. It's just a fun day. And I think that that comes across uh, on camera too. I think you can tell how much fun we're having. Yeah, absolutely. So Always Sunny became known pretty quickly as a show that would push boundaries. Yeah. I mean, from the start, people started talking about it as a show that would go there. Yeah. So was that evident to you from the start? And and how did you feel about that and the direction of it? Oh, it was so refreshing. I loved it so much. It's you know, it's a satire that's, there's, we're just, it's so much social commentary. And I just had never been in a position to be able to do that before. You know, you're just able to, to use humor, to talk about things that people shy away from because it's uncomfortable to talk about. And I think to Rob, certainly I know to Rob, but also to Charlie and Glenn, it's just so exciting to be able to take something like racism and find an intelligent way to write an entire script where you're laughing despite yourself, but you're addressing something very serious. You guys have been on for 15 seasons and you have more more to go. Uh, so obviously FX has been a, a, a great partner. Oh, but yeah. I'm wondering, was there ever something you guys were trying to do on the show where they were like, okay, now you've gone too far. You can't, you can't do that storyline or you can't say that or anything. Truly the reason I love this network so much is that they've done nothing but push us to keep going in the same direction. I, I, we absolutely would not be on the air if it were not for John Landgraf, who believed in us for the very beginning and who, you know, he saw something in this show. The first couple seasons, I mean, we were, we were FX's first comedy, so nobody was going to FX 
to watch comedy. We were getting great ratings, but terrible. I mean, great reviews, terrible ratings. Nobody was watching it, but he, he loved it and he believed in it. And he was like, let's just make it work. Just keep, keep doing everything you're doing. Just do more of it. So no, we, we truly, it's, it's the only network experience I've had where you're not fighting with them about what you can and can't do. They're just pushing us to do more of it. And for our for our basic listeners, John Landgraf, who is the mastermind programmer behind all those great FX programs, yes. will be on the podcast coming up. Oh, so, uh, lucky you. you know, I love he, that man. He's, he's the best. He's yeah. The, yes, he's, he's very he's, smart. Yeah, yeah. Smart dude. Smart dude. Um, tell us a little bit what you remember a little bit about the first season. Well, you said a little bit like the ratings weren't great. Mm-hmm. Tell us what led to the second season and Danny DeVito, which really was a big moment for the show, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. It, um, you know, John was smart enough to know that we had something special. People weren't watching it, but we needed to do something to get attention um, rather than just give up on it. And he suggested that we hire you know, bring on a famous actor. And that was not something we were excited about. We were this tiny little underground show where none of us, I mean, I had done little things here and there and so had the guys, but nobody knew who we were, which was kind of exciting. And the fans who were watching from the start of the series uh, were very, very upset that we were bringing in a famous person because they loved that they, they I, the one of the great things about our fan base is that they take ownership over it. They're like, we were there from the beginning. We've been listening from the beginning. We've been watching you from the beginning. And that's so great. And they did not want us to ruin it by just like bringing in a big name. But John knew Danny and he suggested that the guys meet with him. And I think within seconds of meeting with him, they were like, okay, this is going to be just fine. And, you know, to their credit, they wrote, they, they worked it in really nicely. I mean, they, they, this character is just the older version of all of us. And so, you know, it wasn't like we were bringing in something that was going to feel out of place and Danny just nailed it. I mean, he's just a genius and it's, it's the best thing that happened to us. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. If I can ask a semi-personal question, uh, it's publicly known, you know, your husband, Rob, you, you met him on the show and I believe, and please correct me if any of this sounds wrong, you guys started seeing each other, but you were trying to keep it kind of on the down low at first. I'm just wondering, A, how are you able to do that? <laughs> and then B, you know, once you were a couple and once you were married, like how did that change the dynamics on the show or did it? not change anything. Well, that's why we kept it a secret. We both were smart enough to know that it was just a really stupid idea. Um, <laughs> you don't go date your coworker when you're doing an ensemble that is working and the chemistry is working. Yeah. I don't know. We just fell in love. And, but we, we both were like, this is dumb. We can't do this. And we were like, great, we won't do this. And then we just did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And we, I was really scared to tell Glenn and Charlie because I thought they were going to be mad. I didn't want to Yoko Ono the whole situation that they had going. I was like fortunate enough to be invited into this amazing cast. Um, I didn't want to blow it. But um, yeah, it was the entire second season, which felt like 17 years. We kept it a secret. It was really just a couple <laughs> of months. And then I think, yeah, right before the third season, we told them right before or right at the beginning of the third season, we told them and I burst into tears. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love him. <laughs> it was real cool. The whole thing was real cool. And how did they respond? We thought for sure they already knew because at this point we're like traveling and staying in hotel rooms and sneaking into each other's hotel rooms. And like, he's, I'm overthinking everything. Like we'd open the elevator would open and they'd see that we were both standing in the elevator with coffee. And I was like, Oh, we blew it. And they were just like, no, we just thought you were getting coffee together. Like, right. 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 So I was shocked that nobody had any idea. They were just confused. They were that Glenn thought because Glenn and Charlie lived together. So Glenn, he kept coming to set going, God, Rob is like, gone every single weekend. He's like meeting a new girl every weekend and staying at her place. It's crazy. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was just my house he was coming over to. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, yeah. Wow. Lucky him. Yeah, Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Really using MySpace to his advantage. <laughs> I know this is a little bit of a cliche, but did, do you, did you ever think like, that's a lot of dudes and you. <laughs> so I mean, is that something that you thought about or not so much? Not in a negative way. No. I mean, honestly, making them laugh is the highlight of my day. I just, it's so fun to improvise with them and like crack them up. And Charlie's just famous for breaking and laughing. And if you can get Charlie to laugh, it just feels, <laughs> just feels good. Like a, like a victory. It's such a victory. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. But I, I don't know. I just, it felt special. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess 
you can either feel singled out in a positive way or singled out in a negative way. Right. So I felt singled Mm -hmm. out, like I'm the only woman in this cast and I, they, they love and appreciate me. And I, um, I was so grateful for the job and to be able, I was just grateful to be able to play a character, you know, it's not, this isn't interesting anymore, but back 18 years ago or whatever it was, it was really hard to find a female asshole who was Mm -hmm. just a total piece of garbage and was unapologetic and they never, so it was a, it was a big thing back then when it was like, yeah, but they have to be likable. These guys were like, she doesn't have to be likable. And I was like, oh my God, so great. You know, that's a really, that's a really good point. I think that's actually, I think there was not an archetype for that. No. 20 years ago, there really wasn't. No. And, and, and now they're everywhere, but, but so you kind of take it for granted, but it's like that, that was brand new to me. I never had license to just yell and like get creative with my insults and then not have to like pull a punch and be like, just kidding. I'm just broken. That's why I talk like that. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I was just a jerk and it was funny and it was so liberating and great. I won't ask the, the cliche question about relationships and working with your husband every day over 20 years, but I will ask. When he comes to you or the or you in the cast and says, you know, I'm going to put on 50 pounds yeah. uh, for this season. Tell me, tell me about that conversation. <laughs> I, I would love to tell you about that conversation. So I had literally just given birth and was in the process of losing 35 pounds when he came and said, you know what I think would be really funny is if all of us gain 50 pounds for this next season, but Danny loses like 40 or 50 pounds. So Danny shows up super skinny and the rest of us are fat. And I was like, um, I'm a pass on that because I <laughs> am in the process of getting back to normal. No, I, I, I thought it was a really great idea. Personally, it was just kind of overwhelming. Cause it was like, Oh God, I just did this. But luckily Glenn and Charlie were equally as vain and they were like, no, no, we're not doing that. (laughs) So then Rob thought, okay, well, it's even funnier if I take this project on myself. And if you know him at all, you're not surprised by that. Like he, he has to keep life interesting and come up with some crazy way to stretch himself and just do stuff that he'd never done before or that he hadn't hadn't seen done before. The idea was, and you may have heard this before, but the idea was that as what he was saying is as sitcoms go on and become successful, what happens is the actors typically become uh, more and more attractive. You get more money. Right. The production mm-hmm. has more money. You're lit better. People are starting to put hair extension in, extensions in. <laughs> Maybe people have trainers you know, food program, meal programs. I don't know, but everybody starts to get more and more attractive as time goes on. And he's like, in real life, that wouldn't happen. As you get older, you just get less and less. So I think it'd be funny for our sort of anti-sitcom if everybody started to just, you know, fall apart physically. I, I did I did go back and watch a couple in preparing for today, some old episodes. I was watching some first and second season ones. Man, you could see the money not being spent back. Oh then. yeah, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And I will say, uh, you know, I, you heard me say he's a great showrunner and he keeps the day moving. And we're there at like I don't know seven a.m., but we're done by five. I can make dinner for my kids every night. It's great. That being said, he does not allow any time for lighting. So mm. <laughs> it's so nice to go to another show and be like, oh my god, I look, I look kind of good in this show. I don't look good in our show. None of us do. The lighting's <laughs> better on Hacks. The lighting's way better on that. <laughs> we, we might have even had bought some lights for you on Quibi. You did. You really did. I appreciated it. 
that's what broke the whole company. Yeah, well, exactly. that, overspending <laughs> on lights. That's fine because it got me an Emmy nomination, and I'm pretty sure the lighting <laughs> got me one on Hacks too. So. No, that's not true. That's right. Yeah, congratulations. By the way, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get to heck, but congratulations. <laughs> Wake up! It's always sunny. Thank you. <laughs> if you encountered someone who had never seen It's Always Sunny, like what one or two episodes would you tell them to watch that really capture the essence of what the show is? I know that's kind of a hard question because you've made many many episodes, but it's a great question though. Um, I'm gonna say the gang broke D is a really great episode to understand who the characters are just that it starts with d finally being like really depressed and down on herself which she's just been broken down which she didn't really ever think was going to happen i love that this character is so hell-bent on proving to the guys that she's worthwhile so stupid who cares but the fact that they want to help her out by they don't really want to make her feel better. They want to make her actually hit rock bottom so she <laughs> can decide on her own that things weren't that bad before. But just the whole journey that they uh, take her on in this giant scheme and the it, it's so cruel. It's so unbelievably cruel uh, how they all are to each other and specifically how all three of them as men gang up on this their one female friend. Mm -hmm. That's a really good one. I love that one. I mean, they're all great. I just... Again, I love that it's a social commentary. I love that our dumpster fire of a world is just giving us so much fodder, <laughs> more <laughs> episode ideas. Speaking of breaking D, yeah, um, you've also become semi-famous for kind of doing sort of your own stunts. Oh yeah, um, to a certain degree on set, and also breaking Caitlin, yeah, and breaking <laughs> and breaking Caitlin, yeah. So is um is 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 there like a death wish or? <laughs> Or, or 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 Rob won't let you get a stunt double. Like what? What's what, how does that work? No, those poor guys—they're like begging me to use the stunt double. But here's the thing: I feel like so much of this, or so much of what they're writing, is physical comedy, and I want to be the one to do that. It was very hard for me to ever give up control and let somebody else do a physical stunt that that physically could look really funny. And I had an idea about how I wanted to do it. So I know I always I kind I insist on that. They kind of draw the line at, you know, getting hit by a car, so that's good. But you but you you kind of hurt yourself a couple of times, right? Yeah, yeah, no. Pretty bad. Well, okay, but I'm still here, you know. You are. Was, you look great. What well, what was your worst injury? Was it funny or was it not funny? That's <laughs> that's the question. Well, the the ramming my head into the door, that was that was that was totally worth it. I I, I wouldn't take that back. I <laughs> did have to see a chiropractor for several months after that, but um nothing broken. The worst injury was, and you don't even really get to see it because we couldn't even use that take. And it was the first take was um, we were shooting lethal, one of the lethal weapon six or seven or something like that. Uh, and I was a cop and I like ran, stopped and yelled freeze. And we were in this old warehouse and I didn't see that the floor kind of stopped. And it was this metal grate of a floor and my leg went through Oof. and um, yeah, the metal like went into my leg and it was, oh I just like, God. I very calmly sat down and they yelled cut. And I was just like, I'm just going to sit here for a second. And Rob was like, uh Oh, cause I get super calm when I'm really hurt. <laughs> and he just came over and lifted up. I was wearing like cop pants and he lifted up my pants and put them right back down and looked at me and goes, okay, okay. Um, if we could call 911 and if we could also get the medic to come over here, that would be great. And I was like, oh God. But yeah, that was a doozy. Just opened Ouch. my leg up. I've got a pretty cool scar from it though. So that's wow. good. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but I, I've heard Molly Shannon um, talk about 
doing Mary Catherine Gallagher yes. on Saturday Night Live and how she used to just like hurl herself into things and and really like wake up the next morning, yeah, you know, bruised and stuff. But there was something she felt like satisfying about like oh yeah like it was like battle scars from like the comedy wars or something oh absolutely there's been so many scenes where I'm getting either elbowed in the face I think one time Mac elbows me D in the face when they're playing basketball and I get punched in the face too I think Mac, Mac punches D in the face <laughs> but all of those ones where I had to like jerk my head back and I'm just so proud of how real it looks and then definitely the next day you're like your neck hurts so bad. I'm like, how do stunt people do this? I mean, I'm clearly not like trying to not hurt myself, but wow. How are you like with your kids? Like, are you like, when they get hurt, you're like, shake it off. Come on, get up. Let's no, go. <laughs> no, I'm such a like, oh my God. I, to the point where my, my oldest was like, I'm fine. I'm like, you're bleeding. He's like, I'm fine. I was like, okay, they clearly need me to yeah. back off a little bit. <laughs> just like, just like his mom. Yeah. So you've 15 seasons. Yep. Over now close 20 years, almost 20 years. Yeah, something like that. We take years off every once Ish, in a while. Something like that. So you've been doing the show a long time is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. The world has changed dramatically. Pop culture has changed dramatically mm-hmm. in that time. How do you think that's impacted the show and how you guys approach it? I think it just gives us more and more material. I think with every new development, there are, ex- there are extremes and there are people who feel very strongly about the new developments on both sides. And the great thing about our show, or at least what we're trying to do is make fun of extreme viewpoints on either side. So, you know, hopefully it's not super divisive and it's enjoyable for everyone to watch because it is a comedy at the end of the day, but we're happy to make fun of ridiculous people, (laughs) ridiculous behavior. Yeah. I mean, I think you've established a precedent for it at this point that people for the most part, understand what you're doing, but there's yes. always that risk, like, and this has been true of other shows too, of people laughing at the, for the wrong reason and not mm-hmm. getting the satire element of it. But I suppose you can't really think about that too much when you're trying to make the show. No, not really. And I, I have to say when I read it, I just, I'm so, I'll go back to, I'm so impressed with the writing because it's so intelligently done that it's very obvious to me what we're doing. I, and I, I think what, we really don't get a ton of negative feedback. And if we do, of course, it's social media. So I'm trying not to read those comments anyway. I hate it. Mm. But if I accidentally do read something, the way that the comments are worded, it makes it very clear that they haven't seen the episode. I mean, we've mm. had, a, I will say, a couple episodes taken down um, because D thinks she's an incredible sketch comedy actress and she uh is so proud of her sketch comedy characters but it's we're making fun of people who think they have sketch comedy characters just because they either have a bad accent or change the color of their skin or something insane and ridiculous like that so i stand by those episodes and think they're genius and i love them and i'm pissed that they're taken down i actually had my publicist this is several years ago uh, call me and wasn't suggesting that I get ahead of it, but was like, just if you want to, like, do you want to take those down proactively? And I was like, no, if you have a problem with that episode, you didn't watch the entire thing. You didn't listen and hear Dennis and Mac and Charlie tell D how insanely stupid she was for thinking that something like this constitutes a character. So 
I'll just go back to, I feel like when either people didn't see the episode, the entire episode, or they just grabbed a still and want something to be angry about, but don't understand the context. And so I, I can't, I mean, what am I going to argue with everybody? It's that's okay. Right. Have your opinion, but I don't think you watched it or understood it. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. At, at comedy central, we used to have this thing where we would never apologize, you know, no. um, or try, certainly try not to, because yeah. you can't, there's no going back from that. And look, I think that's, um, I really um, admire the way you guys approach that and the way you have continued to approach it. Comedy's really tough to navigate in 2022, getting harder all the time. It is tough. And I will say too, I'm I'm proud of the guys for for looking back and saying, well, no, had we known then what we know now, we wouldn't have done the episode about well, we would have we would have done the episode about the trans person that Mac falls in love with, but we wouldn't have called her a tranny because it's inappropriate and it's offensive. Right. And but now we know that. And so now mm-hmm. we won't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I have mixed feelings about taking down episodes because they've done that with other shows too. Like 30 Rock had some episodes taken down. and The, the Office too. Yeah. Yeah. Diversity Day. Right. Right. And yep. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the episodes should stay because then it's like you're erasing something that actually happened. Agreed. And then, and then maybe put like a disclaimer or say something to, to reflect that we wouldn't make this now, but this is what we did back then or whatever. Or we would make this again and go watch it again because you're not understanding what the filmmakers were obviously trying to say, which right. is we're mm-hmm. making fun of, of, of people who think that this is okay. Like right. Michael mm-hmm. Scott thinking it's okay to speak like that during diversity day. He's the idiot. And right. the other characters make it very clear that he's an idiot. Right. 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 I mean, there was a lot of that kind of comedy at that time, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all talk- it's all like early 2000s. There was a lot of that. Yep. Arrested Development was like that, too. It was a great time for comedy. It really was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was funny. Yeah. South Park. <laughs> South Park. The only episodes of South Park that I think have gotten pulled off are the ones that feature the Prophet Muhammad. Um, other, other than that, I think they're they're all up there. and They you know, all stay. See, look at them. Yeah, I get Good I get that, them. too. They've, they've flown with a lot of air cover for a long time. Yes, they yeah. have. Yeah. Um, why do you just before we leave the subject of Always Sunny, why do you think the show has endured as it has for so long? And I and I do believe it is. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say it's basic cables, longest running live action comedy. Yes. No, it's the longest running live action comedy period, period? in all period. of TV. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah, I, I, oh, that's such a good question. I think it's smart. I think it's very, very hard to make a really funny show that is very intelligent and is commentary on the world. I also think that we are very actively not trying to please everyone. We are very actively trying to make ourselves laugh and and make ourselves proud. And I think the second you try to start make uh, pleasing everyone or making everybody happy, it's just that that's not attainable. So I think maybe that's going to be my answer. I don't. I mean, yeah, and I would say I would I would I would add that I think it's you guys. You know, it's the mm-hmm. characters and the way you brought them to life and the way they interact with each other in the ensemble and the five of you is just you know it's 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 this. It's one. It appears to be America's, you know, favorite dysfunctional family. <laughs> Thank you. We really did get lucky. It's funny. I mean, I was a child when I started doing this, and I since have been on so many different sets, and they're all lovely in their own way. But we really do have something very special. We're five very strong personalities, but we have so much respect for each other. It's so nice to watch Robin, Charlie, and Glenn watch their process and watch how they disagree, because. 
it's, it's an odd number, which is great. I mean, and they have so much respect for each other that they can disagree, strongly disagree, be overruled and come back and be like, you know what, you were right. And that's nine out of 10 times the person who was overruled after the show's made, after it comes out, they'll watch it and go, you guys were right. Tell us a little bit about uh, your hacks experience and how that all came about. Oh, it's so fun. I am loving that show so much. I just love the character. You know, Mike Schur called me and said, I'm working with John and Paul and Jen, and I've worked with them before and they're amazing. And they have had this idea that they've been working on for years and it's well fleshed out. And Gene Smart signed up to, you know, lead it. And they would, they wrote the daughter part for you. And we would just love for you to consider doing it. And I was a big fan of all of their work. I certainly love and adore and trust Mike Sure. And so I read it and was mostly excited because I get offered a lot of stuff that's very similar to D or to Mickey, which I did in the Mick. And it was just so refreshing and nice to play, to, to have a different character that was really funny, uh, but also kind of like raw and emotional and just very different. I love the, that sort of middle-aged spoiled brat <laughs> aspect <laughs> of, her, of DJ I mean, first of all, the fact that DJ stands for Deborah Jr., I was I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> I was in. I didn't have to read much more than that. Yeah, that's how it started. And Gene's amazing. And it's just been it's been really wonderful. Sonny's got such a rabid fan base. Do you do you have any interesting encounters with the fans as you go along or anything that or anything that stands out? Like the weirdest thing someone has asked you for or said to you or Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are they things you can say on a podcast? <laughs> I mean, I can find a way to make anything polite. Yeah. Philadelphia is a really rich, wonderful <laughs> city filled with amazing, interesting people who always keep their mouths shut and are very demure, very, very, <laughs> very uh, hospitable and polite. Listen, I love that city so much. And we have so many amazing friends who live there and the, the, I don't know if it was the last season. We we don't shoot there that much anymore. We used to go every season and shoot exteriors for like a week or two. Um, and then we started having babies and just made it kind of challenging. But the last time we were shooting there, we had the streets locked off, but we were in a van and we our van got like stormed. <laughs> and there were people who were rocking the van back and forth and trying to get the uh, like pictures inside so we could sign them. But like traffic was moving and I was like really scared somebody was going to get hurt. Someone offered to show me his penis and then offered me a beer, um, <laughs> you know, really ran the full gamut. That's, that's uh, peak. That's peak Philadelphia right there. Yeah, isn't that nice? <laughs> they just wanted to cover the bases. If I wasn't interested in one, maybe sure. I'd be interested in the other. It was very sweet. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is considerate. Very sweet. All right. Our, <laughs> our final question, which we ask everybody is outside of your own incredible long running show. What is your all time favorite basic cable show? Uh, that's going to be Breaking Bad. There you go. Great answer. Great answer. answer. Great show. I think it might be a boring answer, but it's just the truth, guys. It's a great show. That's a great answer. That's not a boring show. I'm not sure we've had a guest that said that yet, have we? Oh, really? Oh, what kind of idiots are you interviewing? (laughs) Well, we we did did interview, we did interview uh, Brian Cranston. He was uh, kind of Did he say it's always sunny in Philadelphia? No, he actually said dirty jobs. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever, Brian. I'll call him after this. All right. Well, (laughs) Caitlin, thank you so much um, for joining us. It was a pleasure to see you and good luck um, at the, uh, at the Emmys. And uh, we hope to get to see you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you guys. 
So that was a really interesting conversation with uh, Caitlin Olson. And it's remarkable. We talked about this a little bit, but the fact that It's Always Sunny has been on for 15 seasons, you know, we'll go into its 16th season very soon. It's the longest running uh, scripted comedy series. It's It passed the previous winner in that category, which was The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. And I cannot think of a more different show from Ozzie and Harriet <laughs> than It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> that That's true. It, I mean, it's really, it, it's an amazing feat just in the world of television, anything to run that long. It's also um, incredible for a comedy um, and a comedy that's, you know, kind of existed in a world that's changed dramatically over the course mm -hmm. of its history. It, it's really, it, it's sort of remarkable. Yeah. I mean, we asked Caitlin this question about why, why the show has run for as long as it has. What is, what is its sort of staying power? And I'm curious to hear you answer the same question from more of a kind of business standpoint, you know, as somebody who was a cable executive, like why does it, why do you think it makes sense for FX to keep It's Always Sunny on the air for as long as they're willing to make it? Well, it starts with having a good show and a good show that has legs and a good show that can can continue on. So they've got amazing writers. They've got a great cast. They have a very devoted audience. They have evolved with the times, and she talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. There are things they can't do today that they were doing in 2005 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and early on. And then I think there's also business reasons, right? So, you know, they ultimately sold the show. I know they sold the show to Comedy Central at some point. So mm -hmm. the show just becomes the more you make, the more valuable it gets. Um, I'm not sure where it's running now, but I'm going to assume on maybe more than one streamer uh, in addition to FX. Well, it's actually technically on FXX. That's right. Yeah. They they all, they sort of started a whole network around. Yeah, they right? did. They were like the they were the anchor of FXX. Yes. I remember when that happened, I was like, wow, they're building a whole network around Always Sunny. I guess the only thing that really surprises me is there hasn't been any spinoffs. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's partly because of, you know, what Caitlin was talking about, which is they make it when they feel refreshed. They're also all working on other projects. So, like, I don't know where they would find the bandwidth to make a spinoff, you know? Right. And she's really – she's actually – I think she's kind of underrated. That's a very – Talented cast. She's right up there with all of them, including Danny DeVito. But having now seen her on things like The Mick and Hacks, I mean, I really think she's a pretty great actress and, and a mm -hmm. pretty great physical actress. Mm -hmm. she, you know, as we talked about with her, like she brings a real physicality, you know, to the sweet D role at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about Hacks specifically. I mean, there are, as she was saying, it's a comedy, but there's certainly some dramatic moments in it that are, are more serious than what she generally gets to do on It's Always Sunny. So it really, that, that role in particular shows off her range a lot, I think. And she talked about, early on, she talked about playing people who are a little bit broken. Mm -hmm. And and both, I think both Sweet D and uh, her character on Hacks are probably a little bit broken. Yes. I mean, I think DJ on Hacks is maybe a little more sane, um, a right. little more reasonable, but, but yeah, I mean, and those are, but a little, but a little broken, but a little bro. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think, I mean, I'm not an actor. I've, I've acted a little bit, but I'm not an actor, but I would imagine broken characters are just more interesting. There's just more to play with. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Caitlin Olson and, uh, Jen and I hope you will come back with us next week when uh, we're back with more basic. Basic is a Pantheon media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, 
Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.